Scripture this morning comes from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. And this begins, this morning begins, a sermon series of uh, seven sermons that will come from Matthew 7, seven lessons from Matthew 7. We begin this morning with uh, the first five verses in in the seventh chapter. You may know that this seventh chapter is part of what has come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew uh, starting at the fifth chapter and concluding at the end of the seventh chapter. This represents the largest body of teaching that we have from Jesus Christ. And there are some, there are some that have suggested that really it would be better named the teaching on the mount than the sermon on the mount because there is a a word uh, clearly good words of teaching and moving from one thought to another that are part of these three chapters for the next several weeks we're going to be focusing on the seventh chapter so here are these words words that may be familiar to some of you Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is still in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. That is God's word for us this morning. Judge not, that is perhaps, uh, these are perhaps words that you have spoken to somebody else that you thought was harshly judging you. Uh, You may have said something to that effect. Who are you to judge me? Or Christians aren't supposed to judge. You may have heard those words spoken. You may have spoken those words to somebody. Christians aren't supposed to judge. You may have heard those words. You may have spoken those words. That's true but not entirely. Christians make judgments all the time. We have to make decisions every day. We have to decide how we're going to live, how we're going to treat other people. We have to make judgments. What Jesus is talking about here is how we make judgments. What is the criteria that we use? And really, what are we judging? Why is it that we shouldn't judge? Jesus is primarily talking about people, people who are of value, that means all of us, and deciding in your own heart or your own mind, for whatever reason, that they, that person is of no value. Jesus is saying, 
that's not a judgment you're qualified to make. Why are we not qualified to make those kind of judgments? Well, first of all, our knowledge is usually incomplete. So we rush sometimes, jump to decisions, conclusions that are not right. Perhaps we offer what we think is wise counsel that may not be wise at all. I reminded uh, several years ago when I was pastoring in North Carolina, I was in a hospital room and one of uh, the members of my church that I was serving at that time was there. Somebody came in. This is not an unusual occurrence when I'm visiting someone in the hospital. Nurse comes in and is going to draw blood. And she's got a student nurse with her. And they come in to, uh, to draw the blood. And this man, his name was Crawley. Uh, Crawley looks at her and says, don't, you, don't go into that, uh, that uh, area of my hand. Uh, that blood will spurt out if you try to, to uh, draw blood from there. And the nurse looked at him and said, uh, Sir, don't worry, uh, that's a vein, and that's not going to happen. Uh, we, uh, veins don't do that. You don't have anything to worry about. And Crawley was still resistant. No, 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 no. That's happened to me before. Uh, I don't know why, but it's going to happen. Blood's going to spurt out if you, you go into that area of my hand. And the nurse again reassured him that wouldn't happen, and she turned to the student nurse and said, uh, you've learned this in, in your nursing classes? And she said, yes, that's a Mr. Mr. Hartzell. That's a vein. You don't have anything to worry about. Pastor Eberhard, trying to be helpful at this point in, in advanced things, I say to Crawley, Crawley, just uh, these folks know what they're doing, and, and just go ahead and and let them uh, let them do what they need to do. It'll be okay. Good word of pastoral assurance there. The nurse, and then Crawley kind of nods and says, "Okay, fine. I told you. Go ahead." The nurse uh, proceeds to uh, try to to. Uh, Established the IV. Sure enough, blood spurts out as soon as she hits that area of his hand. And, uh, and he looks at me. <laughs> and, and he says, I'd just as soon have the three stooges working on me. <laughs> so, our knowledge is incomplete. We don't have the full story, even when our intentions may be very good. We don't have the full picture. So we proceed with caution. We don't know the whole story. A man that comes by the church here fairly often for assistance and help, uh, one day I sat down with him and had a more extended conversation. Basically, and it's not like he's asking for a lot, comes in, usually a dollar or two will satisfy him. And even if he doesn't get the dollar or two, he doesn't go away angry. Uh, But I came to find out in conversation with him uh, something of his circumstance. He is addicted. Uh, That's a problem that he has fought with most of his adult life. Uh, It's not gotten, he's had periods where it's gotten better, but it's certainly not good most of the time. 
And in that moment of confession, he broke down and was talking about children that he had. And his, his wish that he could, could help them in some way. That he could be a better father. Uh, that he could be a more compassionate person. About how he had battled his addiction for years without success. And some of the uh, more uh, dramatic pitfalls that he had suffered as a result. Now, I, I will tell you that in my own mind, uh, when this fellow would come in, not that I wouldn't listen to him, but I, in my own mind, I had, he had been in enough and I had developed this attitude. Uh, if I, if I, I knew if I give him a dollar, he'll leave. And it, which is another way of saying, you're not worth my time or attention. I've already made that judgment. It's not worth that time that I have. And I, if I can get rid of you for a dollar, so be it. But when he sat down, or when I took the time to sit down with him and hear some of his story, I saw him in a different way than I had come to see him. He's a tragic soul. I don't know if he'll ever get better. I don't know if there's anything that can be done that will finally turn his life around. But he's a person of worth, a person of value, and a person who's worth more than my judgment that he's not worth anything other than a dollar to get rid of it. Our knowledge is incomplete. Our, uh, another reason, our prejudice distorts our judgment. Uh, just a, a week or so ago, I went to a ball game down in Indianapolis with my two sons and, and uh, one of their friends, a young man named Lottie. And Lottie is an international. He's from India. He's actually from Italy, but his heritage is, is uh, Indian. He's from India. And, and, and when the old guy, white hair, went through the turnstiles at the Indianapolis Indian game, and I gave them my ticket, or they scanned my ticket. I mean, it, boom, it didn't take, I bet it didn't take two seconds for me to walk through the, that turnstile. Same with Scott, stay, same with Steve. Lottie, he's got the bearded face, and, and, and clearly, you know, is ethnic in character in his, in his appearance. Uh, Lottie come, and he's with us, Got to be good. He's got to be okay. He gets to the turnstile, everything stops. And I don't know what they were doing. I was already through the gate and on, on my way to get a hot dog. But questions of some sort, delays, a scanner wouldn't work, worked fine for three of us. It took, I don't know, what seemed like an eternity. Probably wasn't, but about three or four minutes. And finally, Lottie came on through so we could go find our seats. I would say that something, primarily his appearance, perhaps his accent when he was asked for his ticket, something uh, triggered a prejudice that created judgment about 
this person that uh, created a delay, that created questions, that created all kinds of uh, concerns without having any idea of the value or worth of that person. Our prejudice distorts our values. All of us are prejudiced in some way. We look at somebody and decide whether they're a good person or a bad person. If you've got a son, you probably look at the girl that he's brought home at some point in time and you make some kind of judgment about it. Was that a, was that, was that a girl he should be dating? That's somebody you should be hanging out with. If you've got a daughter, I'm going to suggest now, since I've got granddaughters, that you look with even a more stern eye. And they haven't brought any boys home yet, thank God. But when they do, uh, I know that their, their father, fathers, both my older sons have daughters, will look with a, uh, hopefully a discerning eye, but not a prejudiced eye at the person that comes into the house. Why don't we judge? Our knowledge is incomplete. Our prejudice distorts our judgment. We're fallible. Might be a log in our eye. Maybe at least a speck. We're not willing to acknowledge our own faults, even though we have them. Not willing to acknowledge that that may cloud our judgment. We're fallible. But we don't judge for those reasons. And we don't judge because Jesus tells us the measure you give, man, if you're willing to hammer somebody over the head, that will be the measure you get. If you are not able to look at somebody with some sense of compassion, some interest in who they are, some concern about who they might be able to become in Christ Jesus, if you've already decided all those things about that person and about what they're worth or if they're worth anything, just know that the measure you give, the measure you're using to judge, will be the measure by which you are judged. That's not me talking. That's Jesus talking. Forgiveness is given, and forgiveness that is given is forgiveness that is received. I think one of the greatest statements, uh, public statements of forgiveness, of charity, if you will, was spoken by Abraham Lincoln in the second inaugural address. With malice toward none, with charity for all, With firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which we may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Politicians don't talk that way anymore, do they? In this political season, we're hearing anything that's even close to that. About how we can be bound, how we can work together, how we can overcome our differences 
Even when the differences may not go away, we don't have to let differences define us. We have a common humanity that defines us. We don't hear words like that anymore with malice toward none. We hear liar, crooked, cheat, con artist, unbalanced. You know the rhetoric. You've heard it from both sides. Forgiveness is given, or forgiveness that is given is forgiveness that's received. How do you speak toward other people and view other people? Now take a look at yourself, the splinter and log, the first thing. Take a look at yourself before you uh, become too quick to judge the faults and flaws that you you think you see in someone else. Be constructive, not destructive. Someone said that the hammer that you use to, to pound somebody over the head because they uh, don't measure up in whatever way you think they should measure up, the hammer, the destructiveness that is a part of that, it'll take at some point in time, if you're interested in trying to restore the person, if you're interested in the person doing better, that one blow to the head, hammer blow with words, it'll take 10 pats on the back before you're able to get them on a more positive track, before they're able to trust you and the judgments and the words that you speak. Be constructive, in other words, not destructive. It's only by grace that we are saved. Judge does not mean that we are never to correct. It's not love if you don't offer a word of correction, if you see somebody doing something harmful. None of us is going to sit there uh, idly by and not say anything if we see a child about to run out into the traffic. We're going to say, shout and say no, shout and say stop, don't do that. That can harm you. And we're going to do that because we care, because we love. We're going to speak that truth, perhaps shout that truth. We're going to speak that truth because we love. That's what Paul tells us in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, verse 15. Speak the truth in love. Offer the word of correction if it's needed. But offer it in a way that the person knows you care about them. That you're concerned about them. That you want to see them do better. Not not for your sake, not to satisfy you but to help them offer these powerful words of encouragement where you can. Remember that there but for the grace of God go I. Romans, the fifth chapter, verses 1 and 2. Paul reminds us that we are saved by faith through grace, not of any merit of our own. You remember Mark Twain's favorite or, or famous words, If we got into heaven by merit, your dog would get in and you'd be condemned to hell without question. It doesn't go by merit. It's by grace. 
There but for the grace of God go I. Grace extended and received that you've received is grace you should offer. The word of grace that you should speak. Harsh and petty fault-finding erodes relationships, whether it's in family, whether it's amongst friends, whether it's between people that, that don't know each other but are willing to critique or find fault. Harsh and petty fault-finding erodes relationships. Wherever people have to work together, and we all have to work together, particularly in this time and in the life of our country in this moment, We all have to work together to achieve common goals. That's what Christ reminds us of in this seventh chapter of Matthew. Judge not. Take a look at yourself. Offer and speak words of encouragement. And know that God, the God who forgives you, will give you the strength to change and be encouraging and be positive in all those relationships and all those places in your life where those kinds of qualities, where those kinds of words spoken in love will make a difference. Not just in the life of the person who hears the words that you speak, but in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for good words of wisdom, ancient words that point us to great truth. Lord, we thank you for Christ's teaching and for Christ's challenge to us to order our life, to order our actions, our words, our thoughts in such a way that we recognize, as you recognize, as you know, and as you've taught us, that every person, has worth, has value. God, help us to be compassionate. God, help us to have the wisdom to offer correction when we need to. And Lord, give us the strength to always be forgiving. For it's in Christ's name, amen.